This is a podcast devoted to the awakened woman, for all the non-binary beings and femme-identifying folk devoted to living life awake. And I'm devoted to bringing you the conversations that speak to the wild, wise, woke one within you. And I'm here to uncover the stories, the rituals, and the practices to awaken the fun, free force of nature that you were born to be. Let's go deep. What's up, Awakened Humans? Today, I'm speaking with a magnificent and dear friend of mine, Dr. Kat Meyer. Dr. Kat is a licensed relationship and sex therapist, a yoga instructor, international speaker, and a published researcher in the field of sexual health. She is devoted to evolving the relationship that we have surrounding our sexuality and our bodies. And I'm elated to have her here today. So welcome, goddess. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. It's my absolute pleasure. So to kick off, I was curious, what got you interested in being a sex educator? Do you have a point when you knew, okay, I want to devote my life to this? What sparked that in you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So I have a history of sexual trauma in the past and eating disorders for about 11 years when I was younger. And I really struggled with connecting with my body, which made it really difficult for me to be in relationships. I would have sheer panic and relationships would last like two weeks before I would end them and just like bounce. So I was 20 when I was reading a Red Book magazine. Do you remember those? Red Book magazine? No, maybe they're not in Oz. Oh yeah, yeah, probably not. So I was reading it and they were quoting a sex therapist and I was like, you can do that? Like you can be a sex therapist? And that just opened things up for me because I was actually on a track to be an animal psychologist. But then I was like, I want to talk about sex, even though I've never had sex, but that's what I wanted to. Wait, wait, rewind a second. What is an animal psychologist? <laughs> That's what you got I'm out of that? I'm going to pull on several threads there, but I've never heard of that. That's a thing. <laughs> Only does. in the USA, the land of the brave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so an animal psychologist works with the behavior of animals. So whether they go into a zoo and they have difficulty with depression or anxiety, or even uh, you know some of our dogs experience trauma if we take them from the shelter. You know, we don't know where they came from, but they show up in our house just shaking and really neurotic and bark at weird things or bark at all guys or something. So they're, you know, it's working with the behavior of the animal to be able to help them to move through whatever it is that they're experiencing. Like animals have emotions like we do. And so, and we can, they have a psychology themselves. Oh my God. I'm so grateful that exists. Yeah. Isn't that nice? It's so beautiful. (laughs) It sounds yeah, I'm like so sweet. I'm just thinking of a bunny for some reason, like, and just like sitting in your office, like, okay, come speak to Dr. Cat. Um, <laughs> so you clearly had a care for the, or an interest in, it sounds like, the way that we behave, the way that we think as beings. Um, so you read the magazine, you realize that it's an option on the menu, and then what happens? So then I started, that was, I was a junior in college. And so then I switched my track and just finished out with psychology courses and got my major in that and focused on or looked at schools that specialized in relational 
therapy. So marriage and family therapy was where I went and got my doctorate on the East Coast in California. So that was the beginning. And then I dove into studying specifically with ASECT, which is the one of the ruling programs in America for studying education around sex and sex therapy. Amazing. And so would you say that there's something you specialize in or something that like I notice that certain clients, there's a similarity or there's a theme and not always like it, it cycles with me, but do you notice that there's a, a theme for the clients that see you or the work that you do or is it just completely varied? It's pretty varied, but I would say I specialize in sexual trauma as well as more alternative styles of sexuality. So whether it's kink or BDSM or um, non-traditional styles of relationships Um, So I would say those two are the primary ones that I get. Yeah, I would love to be educated and have you share a little bit for all of our listeners on both of those things. So we'll dive maybe first into BDSM. What is it? What's the draw? What are some of the misconceptions about it? Oh my God, that's a whole podcast in and of itself. Yes. (laughs) So BDSM stands for bondage, discipline, dominance, sadomasochism, and it is a style of sexuality or even sexual orientation that people really identify as this part of their own erotic map of who they are. And it is full of, um, I would say, anything that is on the fringe of what we socially, you know, the socially constructed idea of sex, it's more on the edge of it. (laughs) It's like, this is um, inviting things that are sensational play. So it can be anything from using a rabbit fur mitt on somebody and just getting them into their body and into their senses, to spanking, to bondage, to handcuffs and uh, eye folds. What's that? Blindfolds (laughs) and playing with that. So anything that, yeah, so it's not just having penetrative sex, which is this idea that we oftentimes see in in our culture of what sex is, but it's really expanding that definition. Um, There's a lot of consent talk in there. So there's a lot of permission and transparent communication and um, a lot of play with energy and play with polarity. You know, one person taking on Mm -hmm. one particular role and the other person taking on another role and playing out this dynamic of you know, erotic attraction by taking on these two opposite ends. An example of that would be the dominant person or in the submissive person. So the person who submits to the other person who's engaged in uh, doing the activity. Yeah. As I'm talking about this, I'm sure some of your listeners are um, probably familiar with Tantra you know, are familiar with more of like a sacred sexuality. And I often pair those two together because they have so many similarities. It just people oftentimes put them on two opposite ends and say, because one has more of a darker theme to it and a shadow, like an embracing of your shadow. And the other one embodies more of this lightness, more of this like God self, <laughs> but they both have altered states of consciousness. And yeah, but that's true tantra, right? Embracing the dark. Yes, absolutely. So I don't see them. You know, people see them and and can think these are two different. You know, they're not the mm-hmm. same. They're opposite. Well, I guess they are opposite, but they're the same too at the same time. It's like yin and yang. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I love that you went there because that's what I, it made me think of a lot of teachings around polarity. You may have seen, I'm kind of really on one around this gender bias that's Mm -hmm. leaking into sacred sexuality and spirituality. And hearing you talk, I was like, wow, we could all learn a lot from learning about polarity outside of the construct of gender. Mm -hmm. And I think BDSM sounds like does a really good job of that, where it's not about the body you're in. It's about who's deciding or choosing uh, and who's consenting everyone, right, to playing the roles, not just based on what body you're in. I don't know. Am I getting that right? You're absolutely right. And that's one of the reasons why it is so healing for so many people, because there is such a full spectrum acceptance of you and your own personal expression of who you are. I would also say mm. that there's a similar thread of that through the Tantra community too, because I've been a part of both communities. And in Tantra, there's this acceptance of your full spectrum self, right? And everything mm-hmm. is okay. At the core of Tantra and the core of BDSM, everything is welcome. What I do see though in the Tantra community, and this is where I think it gets lost in gender, is that the description of polarity oftentimes in Tantra is used as masculine and feminine. And I understand that the core of that is is, is that this is an energetic quality that exists in each of us. However, because of the cultural conditioning runs so deep in all of us around gender about Mm -hmm. what it means, masculine and feminine, that we've tied those to the types of bodies that we are, it's hard to get away from that. It's hard to erase that from our minds when we hear those words. And so I use terms like yin and yang to describe these different energies instead of masculine and feminine so that people feel more included in that. And they don't feel like they have to show up a specific way just because they have these particular genitals. Yeah, I feel really similarly. And I find that so liberating because I was finding uh, certain teachings that I was reading, particularly around, you know, define feminine and what was leaking through, although the core of those teachings, and I think like many spiritual and religious teachings that get distorted through the lens of our humanity, there's this beauty to the essence of those teachings, but it felt to me as though I was being told what about me was correct as a, you know, cisgendered woman, and what about me is not correct. And therefore, I started to think, well, if I'm feeling constricted as a someone of experiencing privilege, you know, a cisgendered woman who identifies with the body she was born in, how might this make people feel who don't identify in in such a in such like clear boxes or societal constructs? And so that just it liberates my heart and makes me feel so happy to hear you talk about that. What else could we learn from BDSM? I heard you talk about consent culture. How is consent given and and how is that communicated? Is there something we could learn there as well? In that community, I would say it's probably the strongest culture around consent that I've ever experienced anywhere else. Because Mm. in the activity that you do in BDSM, some of them can be more on the edge of dangerous. 
So how mm. important it is for everyone involved to know what the particular experience of the person, of everybody is. What is okay for you? What do you actually want? What is an enthusiastic yes? Because if somebody's not an enthusiastic yes, A, somebody could get hurt, or B, it's harder to drop into the experience. You know, we can drop into these altered states of consciousness yeah. of like, I pair it with similar to meditation. You know, you can enter into these meditative states, mm. but you can't if you're in your head mm. thinking like, oh, I don't really want this, or I'm just doing this for the other person. And so it impacts the pleasure potential of this experience. So mm. by starting out before you even create mm. what we call a scene, and the scene is a designated space that you're setting up or actions that you're setting up, and be able to talk with your partner or partners what it is that you would each like, what is it that is a hard boundary, and what might be an edge for mm. you. So like maybe a point of negotiation. Well, I'm open to this. It might be uncomfortable for me, but... I'm willing to lean into this for you and it's not self-sacrificing me. So I think that everybody can take into their own lives, whether it's in sex or whether it's out of sex to be able to, because I think we can get stuck in this trap of black or white, either yes or no, all or nothing type of thinking, but there's a whole spectrum in there. So sometimes our partner will say something that we don't necessarily enjoy for ourselves personally, but it's not a hard no. So it might be an edge and we're like, oh yeah, I can lean into that. And it doesn't you know, yeah, hurt me or self-sacrifice me for the relationship. So there's that element, but then there's also living consent, which is checking in throughout an experience because consent changes. Consent is dynamic. So as we, because we're humans who are dynamic and our minds change all the time. And when we have the consent of somebody, then everybody can relax into that because we know where each other is. So if we keep checking in and we can make it sexy too, we can say, I, I'm going to kiss you and lick you all up and down your body. Tell me if, tell me when to stop. And so then that invites the other person, the power to say yes or no, or when to stop. Or we can say, I really want to tie you up and blindfold you and just tease you with strawberries. And the other person, I don't know why you would say no, but the other person can say yes or no to that because it <laughs> gives them permission there. How many times can we have, yeah, how many times have we been asked what do you want? And that sentence is so can be so short-circuiting to our system because it's huge. Like the potential of that is huge. And that can be overwhelming. So instead, we can say something like, you know, what would pleasure your pussy today? Or what does your pussy want today? And so it changes that, or we can give them choices and that can help somebody choose to more focus on their desires if they don't already know, because desire is a skill to cultivate. And it, some people are a lot more 
developed in that skill of desire and are easily able to express what it is that they want. But for some of us, you know, we're still experiencing the cultural conditioning of selfishness, not bothering somebody, not hurting somebody's feelings, not making somebody uncomfortable. And as women, we for sure know that we've (laughs) been conditioned to put up with discomfort. And so to be asked and given permission and invited and, and supported in that is so healing. Oh, so much to learn there. I mean, that beautiful idea of setting up a scene, establishing someone's desires, supporting them in that. Yeah, whether it's BDSM or just life, as you say, that's so valuable. I love the idea of, what did you call it? Uh, Living consent, where you keep checking in and making it sexy. I was like, ooh, Dr. Cat, yes. I'm like, okay, I think that it's such a beautiful thing for us as a culture to start to realize, to start to educate our kids that consent, what I'm hearing you say, creates more pleasure. It's more sexy because there can be this idea, I think, that this limited belief, whether it's around using protection or asking for consent, that these things that create safety are not sexy, whereas that isn't true. And what I'm hearing you say and what feels so true for me is, yeah, when we ask consent, when we practice safety, we can surrender more and there's more pleasure. I can't remember where you and I were. I think we were at a gathering of some sort. It may have been two years ago. And you said to me a mantra that I've been using since, and I can't remember the exact wording. You might be able to help me, but like, I can, I can handle more pleasure. Is that the one? Do you know the one it was? Yeah, I do. It's, I can hold more. Yes. Because when, especially as we're coming up against an orgasm, you know, we can notice that the body wants to start to tense and we can feel this anxiety or this panic in the body of like, oh my God, this is too much, right? Or we start anticipating pain or not being able to hold that. And so our body starts shaking and we're like, we can tell our partner, stop, 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 right? Because that's that fear Or we can take a breath, relax the pelvic floor, and remind ourselves, I can hold more. And the moment that we do that, we relax all of that, we can tip ourselves over that edge of what we have been able to hold before and open to even more. It's like open the floodgates of like this higher potential of your orgasm that perhaps you haven't ever allowed yourself to to feel because it's hitting against your ceiling or your upper limits of what you have reference for of being able to hold. And we do this with money. We do this in love. We do this in so many other aspects of our life. But if instead we choose to relax and expand when we start feeling that contraction, we may find that we blast through the ceiling and hold more. So beautiful. And I'm hearing you say, you know, about these kind of associations that we have and the panic or the tension that we can create, whether it's Um, pleasure in sex, orgasm, or money. I've been experimenting with, and I'm sure uh, I'm curious on your perspective around utilizing our pleasure or our sexual energy to rewire certain associations that we have. So whether that's um, trauma or our ability to receive more money, I don't know, is that something you've played with or explored? What is your perspective on that? 
Absolutely. Yes. So I do. I have a specific pleasure practice that I do for myself and that I often do with my clients too. And again, pleasure doesn't have to be erotic. Let's make that clear that pleasure is in and of itself platonic. It can become erotic. We can invite sexuality in our sensuality, but it doesn't have to be. So pleasure is ultimately just this vibration, this energetic texture of enjoyment in your body. If we think about trauma, if we think about some of these net, these harder or these challenging, distressing memories or emotions that we have, there's a contraction in the body with that. There's a tension. There's a heaviness to it, texture of the body. And with pleasure, it's open and it's, it's expanded. And of course, because in order to feel pleasure, we have to be relaxed. Our sensory receptors actually open when we're relaxed. So we feel more pleasure. So oftentimes pairing pleasure with a specific memory or distressing emotion or something that I'm going through, whether that is a pleasure practice of like just caressing my body and holding myself, I'm touching my hair or even using like a gemstone dildo and pleasuring myself while I'm holding this specific memory and holding that or crying. I could be bawling and still pleasuring and touching myself because there is this association of affection and caressing and being loving towards myself that allows my body to stay open through the contracting efforts of whatever this pain point is. And I do this with clients too, you know, having them just caressing themselves while they're talking about something that's really heavy and painful. And sometimes we can have a specific song in the background to help them to be able to embody that. But it's powerful to not just accept that our heaviness, that the distress has to be in this texture. It gives us a lot of power there to own the story while we're still pleasuring ourselves. Yeah, super. I had a, I, the reason I ask is I've just been learning about all this stuff. I'm studying at the moment and I knew you would have some deep wisdom there. And I had this wild experience recently where with, yeah, a crystal dildo, pleasure in a pleasure practice, lots of lead up and meditation and getting to climax to the, my fear of failure which was so powerful and exactly what you're describing to realize that I can be so with the part of me that's terrified of that, which I don't know if anyone listening might resonate. And whatever it is, the shame or the fear of rejection, the fear of failure for me was this like, um, I didn't realize how deep it was in there and getting to experience pleasure with that holding myself so fully that I was even able to climax <laughs> to this previously this emotion that I was previously moving away from, didn't want to feel, not consciously, right? We unconsciously try to get away from that. But yeah, I found that to be so powerful. And I want to also pull on a thread here. You said earlier that you support a lot of people through different relationship styles. I think that many people listening might, I mean, they might be really familiar with uh, different relationship styles. Some people listening may have no idea that there's even another option on the menu. Um, (laughs) Can you talk us through like, what are some different styles of relationships outside of the traditional, um, what would you say, just monogamous container? 
Yeah. Again, this comes back to these programs that we've been given, you know, these messages, these images, whether it's from our family, from our culture, from media, even of what a relationship is supposed to look like. So we all have inside of us this image or this schema of what a relationship is supposed to look like. We even have these specific roles of how each person is supposed to show up in them and just based by everything that we've experienced in our life. And as we are moving into this space of coming into a greater authentic expression of ourselves, we get to ask these questions of which do these images continue to resonate with me or match me and what I need for myself as an individual person, because we all also have individual needs. And giving yourself the power to be able to even design the type of relationship that you want. And it can be similar to a monogamous relationship, or it can be completely different in yours. But Ultimately, when you and another person or persons come together, when you get to decide which parts that you would like to have in your relationship, it almost becomes like your relationship by design, you know, like build a bear, like you get to take the parts that you want. (laughs) And so there can be, gosh, the, really the potential of this is infinite, but you can have a an open style relationship, meaning that you are partnered with somebody, but the two of you have an agreement that you can be sexual or even just go on dates or even just be affectionate. Again, that spectrum is up to you guys of what that would look like, but it's just involvement of other people outside of your relationship in whatever capacity that is agreed upon between you and this other person. Then there's also polyamorous relationships, which give the opportunity for falling in love with other people. And this dynamic can be with two people as in a hierarchy where two people are primary and everybody else is, you know, secondary or tertiary. And you decide what that configuration looks like. Some people have no hierarchy. So everybody involved is at the same playing field and have the same weight of life decisions in those conversations. Some people have like little pods of people where everybody engages with each other. Um, sometimes there's a what we call monopoly where one person is monogamous because they just don't desire anybody else and the other person has relationships with another person or persons. And sometimes there's also what we call relationship anarchy, which is where there is no rules and you just, you're more of like a single person and you can date anybody, whoever you want, or you can be partnered and still have relationship anarchy. I personally haven't seen those work very well, but I'm sure that they're out there and they, somebody works well with it. I'm not sure. And then there's also swinging, which is a partnered couple and they engage in sexual activities together. So that's always a shared experience with them and other people. Yeah. Wow. It's so amazing. Like we said, build a bear to realize and just open your eyes. I know for myself, it's been an enlightening experience the last few years, just kind of learning about this stuff and realizing, wow, we're real. there's so much more out here in this beautiful wild wide world than we've been sold in 90s rom-coms that I grew up with. <laughs> <laughs> My question is, and this might be, an ignorant question because I don't know that much about this stuff. So correct 
if it is, but I wonder how, because I just think about myself, if I was, let's say, more particularly early in a relationship, is it difficult for people in uh, more open relating styles to not use the outside energy as an avoidance of intimacy? Yeah, it can be. I think that the qualities that you would want to cultivate, but ultimately, I think it, it is alive and potential in any type of relationship. Um, in this type of relationship, it just becomes apparent quicker. You are including other people. So I would say getting into that style of relationship, I highly recommend people to either be in some sort of support group, working with a therapist, doing their own research, because I see a lot of people who just go out there and do it because they read like one book or two books and they're like, oh, this is me. And then shit hits the fan and then they come in to see me to help them fix it. (laughs) Um, But to learn about, you know, things like what do you do when you, to be able to protect yourself, like knowing what your patterns are, learning skills of communication, learning the vulnerabilities of the other person that you are in partnership with, or you are including into this, you know, learning about the difference between rules and agreements. What is the difference? Rules have a tendency to have more of a punitive feeling to it. Um, If you think about when we grow up, like third grade, getting sent to the principal's office because you broke a rule. (laughs) An agreement is something that the two of you come into agreement around that you're both, it's like a win-win. We both feel good about these parameters. And it has a, so there is a nuance there because there's an energetic uh, surrounding that particular word and our conditioning and associations around it. But there also has a, I feel there's more of a flexibility with agreements. Like we can come to an agreement and have conversation around, okay, does this agreement still work? What would be in more agreement with us? Whereas a rule has a texture of a very hard line, which I guess they both can have a hard line, but just has a different, different energy around it. Totally. It sounds like one feels collaborative and one feels more like manipulation, like one person's holding the power and saying and making a demand as opposed to collaborative sharing. I don't know. That's what I perceive from those two words. Yes. And rules can oftentimes come from a space of fear and insecurity in the relationship or, or whatever's coming up in the person. And again, we don't want to shame the person for having an insecurity, but we do get to invite inquiry as to what is there. What's me, what's contributing to making you feel not solid here. And how can we meet that part of you? You know, I think one misconception that people get of if you open your relationship, then you're not supposed to be jealous. And I think that is one of the biggest misconceptions because we're humans who have emotions and feelings and needs. And jealousy is a human experience that gets to show us how we can meet ourselves more fully. And so we can place a rule to sort of like quell the jealousy, but that doesn't actually get to the root of it. It actually just kind of covers it up. But instead, if we honor And if we try not to be the perfect poly partner or the perfect partner and we allow ourselves to have these feelings, then it gives us information and material to work with so that we can design the right relationship for us. 
We want to be met. It sounds like a real deep dive masterclass in shadow work. <laughs> when you're like, it does, it just comes up quicker. I'm like, yeah, I imagine it's like, I think I heard Paul Check say once around polyamorous, polyamorous relationships, because I believe that he has two partners and he was like, you know, you should master riding one horse first before you learn how to ride two. And I think when I repeated it, it sounds kind of weird, but I think what he was trying to say is like, get solid at relating with yourself and then relating with one other perhaps. And then if you feel like you've got, because it sounds like you would need pretty exquisite communication skills and a, a level of emotional mastery and self-awareness and the desire obviously to do that. So it's like a lot of moving parts. Yes. And so that's ideal. <laughs> of course, <laughs> you know, we can go into that. And along the way, I think the biggest pieces of this is, you know, can you learn to attune with your partner, meaning reading them, you know, picking up mm. their inflections or their facial expressions or their body language? And where is their kindness and compassion? You know, I think those are three big keys in making these work because it's easy to, you know, go into blame and victim mode or shaming ourselves or shaming the other person, or we can keep turning towards each other and learning together. Because even if you have all these skills of being able to communicate, having emotional intelligence, and you know, you're still going to hit up against these things. They're still going to come up because we all have wounds and we all have our little girls and boys in our bodies and little non-gender identifying <laughs> parts of ourselves. But it's it's just how do we lean in to yeah. each other? Yeah. Yeah, it's so fascinating. I'm hearing you talk about jealousy too, like how that's a natural human emotion. How would you support people or what advice would you give for coping with jealousy in partnership? Jealousy can have many different layers and many different sources that it comes from. So it depends on whether this is the manifestation of it. Is this a chronic, consistent experience that you have that it comes up often with this one particular person or with multiple relationships that you have? Because if that's the case, it may be stemming from a child wound. There may be something around attachment that might be activated here. And so your nervous system is perceiving that there's a danger in the environment or there's a threat to what to your attachment with this person. And so we can look at maybe what trauma or what distressing events from your past might still be influencing you today to be perceiving that that might be going on here. It can also be that you know, some of your particular needs aren't being met. And it comes out in jealousy as a sense of, I actually need to be able to learn what it is that I, that I need and want and learn the skill of being able to communicate that because some people don't have that ability. It gets stuck. Either it gets stuck in their head, they can't access what they want, or it gets stuck in their throat and they can't verbalize it. So those are skills to be able to cultivate. Or even how are you giving attention and affection and allowance to yourself? You know, how, what, what is this relationship like with yourself? Do you take care of yourself? Do you allow yourself to be in a, an emotional state and that be okay? Or this can also be around 
envy. Envy is different than jealousy. Envy is seeing that somebody else has something and you want that. And so then again, it's asking this question of, um, and jealousy is more around the fear of losing something that you have. So envy might be, okay, I'm seeing somebody else have this. Is there a way that I can give myself that same thing or ask for that same thing to be met by another person? And all of this is welcome. It's Mm. just a tool that you get to discover even more depths of yourself and how to meet yourself. Yeah, what I'm hearing you say and the, the thread through, right, is this ability to communicate. It's like a superpower. And I think what I'm also hearing you say is that stems from the first part of being able to identify what am I feeling? What do I need? This process of checking in, I guess, right? And then being able to to verbalize uh, that. So speaking of being able to check in and see what we need and verbalize it, um, fantasy, do you see themes in is there like predominant fantasies that most of us have? Or oh, she's nodding. Yes. Say more. <laughs> oh, yes. So I, I'm trying to think the research shows that there are seven major types or the most popular fantasies fall under seven categories. The first one, I believe, is, is any sort of group sex. So that's engaging mm-hmm. with more than one person. There's also so that, that can even be threesomes. Threesomes is a mm-hmm. hugely popular one. BDSM, mm-hmm. taboo, so that's anything that might be more on the fringe or edgy. Mm-hmm. Novelty, which is anything that is new. So it could be a new position or being out in outdoor spaces or anything that is outside of the ordinary just bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, intimacy, fantasies around intimacy. So that mm-hmm. can be fantasies of passion or fantasies of somebody like really desiring you or you desiring them. Gender bending, meaning like I am in this fantasy, I am a man, or in this fantasy, I'm a woman, or I am androgynous, or I, I am mm-hmm. a different gender than what I present in real life. And mm-hmm. then partner swapping is another one. So that can be anything of like swinging or poly or um, where you're with somebody, but you're partnered with some, with your partner, but, but you're with other, another person. So wonderful to hear this. I wonder how many people listening are like, oh, I thought that fantasy was really strange, but actually great. That's just, you know, and I think that within those fantasies, there's so much room for all fantasies. When I was hearing you discuss, and this is an interesting topic, I think, in the realm of maintaining long-term desire in long-term partnerships, and I'm hearing you say in the fantasy section that right side by side was novelty, Mm -hmm. but also intimacy. Mm -hmm. And so there are kind of these two trains of thought on this topic. What is the authors of that really famous relationship book, Getting the Love That You Deserve or Getting the Love You Want? Is it? Do you know the one I mean? I think their surname is Hendricks. Mm-hmm. So their school of thought really, and there's kind of a lot of people that are on this side, is that maintaining desire and long-term monogamous, monogamous relationships is about cultivating intimacy. Mm-hmm. And then you have kind of this Esther Perel school of thought, uh, maintaining desire in long-term monogamous partnerships is more about mystery and novelty. What do you think? Where do you do you kind of believe in one camp or the other? Or is there an option I'm not stating? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, so I believe that they don't exist mutually exclusive. 
I believe that they exist hand in hand. And I think intimacy allows us the safety to be able to open up and unlock and and fully surrender into our emotional expression and orgasmic potential. And a level of mystery, like we can think of a lot of things that create mystery, that's inviting things that are novel or recognizing that your partner and you are always changing. You're never the same person that you were when you first met. So it's teaching yourself to rediscover your partner again and again, and to know that there are things that you aren't ever going to know about. So I think there's a mindset in there. Um, I also believe that creating adventures or creating, having, cultivating curiosity in your relationship, whether that is curious curiosity about some, you know, sexual activities that the two of you can lean into and try or taking programs together. And there, there's that cultivating both intimacy and understanding that your partner has mystery and, and is ever evolving. So yeah, I don't think that there's also a researcher who says that erotic desire is broken into an equation of obstacles plus plus attraction equals erotic desire. So you can create obstacles in an intimate, deeply intimate, safe relationship in order to create this excitement and desire again. You know, and those can be things like power dynamics, or it can be playing with anticipation and longing, or it can be um, teasing or it can be all kinds of things. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all of that. that. I'm like, yes, yes, yes to all of it. <laughs> yeah. So it, I, I believe in both of those camps, the thread of intentionality is what's key in making a long-term relationship work and not falling into the pattern of just allowing things to happen or unfold in and of themselves, but taking the initiative, taking the intention of being active, being being an active participant in it. Yeah. Wow. I've never heard it stated like that. That's so powerful that the thread there is intentionality. Uh, Dr. Emily Nagoski, have you read Come As You Are? I'm sure you've read that. So Yes, I love her. She she had a similar thought that um, not around the intentionality. She didn't mention that, but yeah, that that it's both. Both can work. It's context dependent. Use the right tool at the right time. So, I love your perspective on that. If people are listening and they're going, okay, I'm hearing this intentionality is important. And perhaps they're in partnership. I know a lot of people. A big topic is maintaining desire. I get that question a lot in my practice uh, and work. How would you suggest people go go about creating more intentionality so that they can step into greater levels of desire, novelty, creating their obstacles, more intimacy, whatever it is, but um, where would be a starting point that you might invite people into? Yeah, so intention is all about coming up with a specific direction that you would like to to move. So a specific outcome that you would like to cultivate or have in the relationship and then funneling your attention and your efforts towards making that. So I would invite somebody to think about, I often invite clients to do this around their sexuality or their um, sex scenes. You know, what, what do you want to feel in this? 
Okay, if it's more playfulness, you want more playfulness, that's an intention. So now everything that we're doing and things that we're picking, toys that we're picking or ambiance that we're setting is all designed towards this intention of playfulness. So what do you want to cultivate in your relationship? Is it more adventure? Okay, so that directs our questions and the types of things that we want to start including. Um, is it more intimacy. Okay. So now let's start looking at, at activities or books or creating time and space to be able to snuggle in on each other. Um, is it more around sexual expansion? And so maybe we'll go to specific workshops or we'll go to a sex shop together, or we'll start asking each other questions or we'll start doing our own research around it. So I think it breaks down to what, what part of you do you want to expand on? Yeah, that that's, makes perfect sense. I love the idea of picking a theme and focusing your exploration, your questions around it. I've also heard you mention a few times this idea of relationship agreements. It's something that I work with and find extremely useful and important. I know you were saying earlier how many of us just kind of assume because of the conditioning we've had that we all know what a relationship is. We all have the same idea of what a relationship is and we all operate the same within one. And then we get in relationships and we realize like, holy shit, what is happening? Um, So can you talk a little bit about what relationship agreements are and if people have never done it before, maybe how they could begin that process? Relationship agreements are a point of negotiation that the two of you come to a win-win decision around. Because the moment that we have a win-lose, the relationship loses. So we want both people to feel heard and seen and a part of the decision-making process and how the relationship is formed. I would say the very first step of making agreements is to first understand what your ideals are or what your scripts are around relationship and the roles that are played in relationship and the intention of being in a relationship. You know, asking the questions of what did each of our family relationships look like, our peers? What are these these messages we get from our culture, from wherever we're from, around what a relationship is supposed to look like? And I believe that once you know that, it becomes easier for you to both see, okay, which pieces do we want to include into our relationship and which ones do we want to actually throw out? Which ones don't apply to us? And so you get to witness how, because of my family dynamics, these are the things that either I believe in or these are the things that I have been exposed to and taken on, but I don't want. And you get to see that for your other partner as well. And then we get to see, okay, which ones do we really enjoy? What traditions do we really enjoy? What, how do I see the role of a wife or a husband or what do, or do we even believe in marriage? How does our experiences even influence how the meaning, the definition that we have around partnership, marriage, relationship, you know, all of that. And so bringing back in that idea of negotiation, what's each of our ideal version of this relationship? What is a hard boundary and what are the edges or the point of negotiation, the point of compromise? Because an agreement can also be a compromise, but it's not self-sacrificing, which is the difference. We 
compromise is necessary in a relationship because you have more than one person having new ideas and desires. But it's asking your question, does this compromise me? Or does this sacrifice me? Yeah, that's such an important distinction. I've actually never heard that. I'm learning so much. Wow, so powerful. It's like, yeah, compromise is absolutely necessary. And yeah, can we find that edge, which is a great word for that, which is this is a compromise, but it's one I I can make, I'm willing to make, I'm happy to make um, benefit of the whole. It's not self-sacrificing because like you were saying earlier, how as women or gender non-conforming people, we've been very conditioned to accept discomfort in this fairly gender biased world we live in that's changing and waking up and we're a part of the change, but still, yes, it exists. So that reminder that compromise, yes, is necessary, but for those of us who may be um, recovered or recovering people pleasers, um, you know, to, to not uh, trade short-term discomfort of verbalizing a need for the long-term resentment that can happen if we just say yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like I could just talk to you for hours and hours. I feel like we just dipped in, but I'm so grateful. We may have to do another episode and have people write in and ask what it is that they want to hear from you. You also have your own podcast. So before we jump into our rapid fire questions, where can people find you? So people can find me at sexloveyoga.com. They can also follow me on Instagram, sexloveyoga. Um, I also have two podcasts. One is expert oriented and that is eat, play, sex. And my erotically wasted podcast, which is five minutes of an erotic story straight to your ears designed to turn you on. It works. Does what it says on the tin. I've listened. It's amazing. <laughs> Both of them are epic. All right. Are you ready for rapid fire, goddess? Oh my God. Okay. Bring it. <laughs> As you once said to me at Burning Man, unclench your asshole. Relax. <laughs> that, that like without context, that sounds really wild. But I just remember one of our other friends was like, I'm feeling anxious and I'll never forget. It was so amazing. You just stood there, stance, so powerful. And you're like, okay just like dropping, leading him to guiding him to drop into his body. And I was just like joining in because I was like, this is amazing. And just again, that cue, as well as that, I can hold more mantra that you gifted Mm -hmm. me. Just that cue of relaxing your butthole has stayed with me. So I'm now Mm -hmm. relaxing my butthole. (laughs) Everyone listening, (laughs) relax your buttholes. (laughs) I'm so happy that those are the things that stay with you. I'm so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Says a lot about who I am. And I'm okay with that. Someone comes to you and they're feeling really down and you can only give them one piece of advice. What do you say? Your feelings are welcome and valid here. What's the most important thing for successful relationships? Ooh, I said this earlier, attunement and kindness. Oh, I just got goosebumps. I love that word, attunement. Mm -hmm. If you could be any animal, what animal would you be? A unicorn bunny kitten, all one word. (laughs) Just just that. (laughs) (laughs) Not hyphenated, one word. Uh, I see that for you. (laughs) If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh, to be able to influence people's emotions. I feel like I could go into a riot and just like bring everybody down and everybody good. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. I've never heard anyone say that one. And that is truly a superpower. If you could only take one spiritual practice or tool with you to a desert island, what would it be? My gemstone dildo 
for pleasure practices. <laughs> Hands yes, down. That's easy. Queen. <laughs> what's your, well, this could be the same. What's your favorite thing that you own? Ooh, you know, I would actually say my paint and canvas. I couldn't do without that. I just, yeah. I did not know that you paint. Oh my gosh. Actually, yes. I think I've seen your sketches before. Do you do nudes sometimes? I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're exceptionally talented. Now I need to see more. Something you believe is true that other people may think is crazy. That the force is real. Mm. <laughs> I need that on a t-shirt, honey. We need some Dr. Kat Maya merch that says the force is real. I so believe it. I mean, it's energy. You know, it really is energy. And I'm a Reiki practitioner. And so it's very something very palpable. You feel it. If you could eat one meal before you die, sorry to do that to you, what would it be? <laughs> okay. Anything that your partner could make <laughs> with real cheese and real truffles. And because I can't even have dairy, so I would want him to make like everything like super, super decadent. And then follow that with like real dairy ice cream with decadent brownie underneath it. Yeah, that's that's what I would go. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, well we could definitely enlist Mr. Patrick Drake to do a dairy-free version for you, not on your deathbed, although, you know, <laughs> in a long, long time when you're 100 years old, maybe he'll still be around too. Yes. Yes. Fulfill my desires. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) She's teaching us how to verbalize our desires, my friends. Last one. If there was a universal answering machine and you could leave a 15 second voice note on it or, you know, a couple of sentences that everyone in the world was going to hear today, what would you say? I would start out with, yo, this is Kat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm either playing somewhere in the galaxy or transforming the lives of pussies and cocks everywhere. Leave a message (laughs) and it will be taken to heart and held with the deepest consideration. (laughs) Now go play. (laughs) That is amazing. Wow, that's perhaps my favorite of all time. Thank you so much for playing with me, for educating us, just for sharing your wise, wild, epic spirit. I really appreciate you, Mama. Mm, It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. That's it for today, beautiful beings. My heart is so full of gratitude that you gave us your time today. And if you learned something or felt inspired, pass it along to someone who might need to hear it today. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast because it's how we get to as many people's ears as possible and to hold up our vision of elevating consciousness on this planet. Thanks for doing your bit. I'm Angel and I'll catch you next week.